Let's talk about the Word of God. How many of you are ready to get into the Sermon on the Mount tonight? Amen? All right, let's pray together. Father, we just thank you so much for the Word of God. We pray, Lord, that you will help us to assimilate these truths tonight, to take them and to digest them. That, Lord, these teachings from your master message will help us to grow in grace into adulthood, into spiritual maturity. We pray, Lord, for your help. Now, can you breathe a prayer, church, and say, Lord, speak to me tonight. In Jesus' name, I receive the word of God. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him it's going to be good tonight. Amen. And I have made the transition fully to my iPad up here. I like it. And I think I got it too high right there. And I hope I don't knock things down. There we go. Everybody happy? All right. Tonight, uh, we're already starting chapter six. We're moving right along through this thing. Uh, Not in a hurry, but it's just happened that way. Uh, Tonight, we're going to talk about motives. How many of you have noticed that Jesus' Sermon on the Mount is geared right to your heart and mine? It's like heart surgery. It's really like getting a spiritual EKG when you read the Sermon on the Mount. Because Jesus uh, is dealing with, for instance, anger that leads to murder, lust that leads to adultery, pride that leads to unwise vows. And tonight, we're going to look at motives for giving, praying, and fasting. And Jesus talked about those three. And and that's where chapter 6 begins. So as we do start chapter 6, Jesus is going to be dealing with our motives. His concern is not so much over what we do, but why we do what we do. That's what he's going to be getting at. Because you can do things for a lot of different reasons. You You can be a very religious person, but have all kinds of ulterior motives. You can have pure motives or impure motives. Right motives or wrong motives. And Jesus is going to get right down to the heart of the matter, no pun intended, and he's going to deal with our hearts. So he deals with, same with me, giving, prayer, and fasting. Now, I got to tell you, I'm going to skip over the Lord's Prayer tonight uh, because I'm going to dedicate one whole evening to that Lord's Prayer. And that'll be next time. Next time we're in Sermon on the Mount, I'm going to deal with the Lord's Prayer, how to pray the greatest prayer ever prayed. And so we're going to really look at that powerful prayer. Uh, So because that really does require and call for special attention, I'm going to skip over it. Uh, That's verses 9 through 15 in chapter 6. And uh, we're just going to look at Jesus targeting primarily the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. Have you ever noticed that when it comes to teenagers, the one thing Teenagers can't stand is hypocrisy in their parents. Have you ever noticed that? Or hypocrisy in the church. Uh, You talk to a teenager and that's what they home in on. Well, why'd you get out of church? Well, the hypocrisy. Of course, for some people, them leaving over hypocrisy is sheer hypocrisy. (laughs) Because they were being hypocritical as well. But here's the deal. Jesus, in chapter 6, is targeting the hypocrisy displayed by the Pharisees. He has no problem calling them hypocrites. 
And so therein, Jesus was very unpolitically correct. And, and if, if I talk to somebody tonight in front of you the way Jesus talked to the Pharisees, you would say that I wasn't acting Christian, that I wasn't walking in love. But let me tell you, if you were on the rough end of a rebuke from Jesus, you knew it. And he leveled the Pharisees over and over again. Now, the Greek word for hypocrite was originally used to describe a performer acting under a mask, as in a theater. That's where the the word was first formed. What it was first used for was to talk about actors on a stage putting on a mask uh, and playing a part that was not them. And as time went on, the word evolved into eventually meaning uh, a two-faced person. And we know what that type of person is like, and and most of us in here have ourselves at one time or another definitely been two-faced, right? Come on, fess up. A two-faced person, a phony. And so the word came to be used for that. Well, what is that person like? Oh, they're hypocrites. Well, what do you mean by hypocrite? They're two-faced. They say one thing. They do another. They preach one thing. They live another. And I think nothing gets under our skin more than somebody, especially somebody in a position of influence, like, can I say it, politicians, who say one thing and do another. And you realize when they were running for office, they were wearing a mask, saying what we wanted to hear so we would uh, elect them. And then once they're elected, the mask comes off and you see who they really are. And we say, we call them what? Hypocrites. Now, and that's just an example. That's just an example. But Jesus vividly described the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. Listen to what he said. He he told his followers, so practice and obey whatever they, the Pharisees, tell you, but don't follow their example. For they don't practice what they teach. And then in verse 5, Jesus said, everything they do is for show. Everything they do is for a show. So what did Jesus say about the Pharisees? Do what they say because they're quoting the word of God to you, but don't do what they do because they're not living out the word of God they're preaching to you. And, and the Pharisees were standing there when Jesus said these things, believe me. He was not gaining friends and, and popularity with the Pharisees with every passing day. Jesus pointed out that the true motive of the Pharisees was the glory they received from men. That's what the Pharisees were after. They wanted the praise of men. That's what Jesus said. With their charitable giving, when it came to to giving money, and that's what he's really talking about here, he points out the way that they sound a trumpet in the synagogues, or they pull out that $100 bill and pop it with everybody sitting around them, pop, pop, pop. Oh, do you see what I'm about to give? It's not a one, it's not a 10, it's a hundred. Pop, pop, pop. And they drop it in. That's a kind of a trumpet. Jesus was using exaggeration to make a point. They didn't literally blow a trumpet, but essentially they, they, they drew attention to themselves so that we would all know what they gave. And then when it came to prayer, Jesus said, they love to pray in the open to be seen of men. And with their fasting, Jesus 
I think comically, says they wear a sad countenance. They disfigure their faces so that others would know they were fasting. What's wrong with you, brother? You look terrible. Oh, I'm fasting. (laughs) Praise the Lord. I'm on a 10-day. It's eight days in. I know I look terrible, but wow, am I holy or what? (laughs) Now, we'll talk about that more in a minute. Do you know that of all the people Jesus encountered in his ministry, the Pharisees received the most scathing rebukes? And I mean, they were scathing. In fact, the Pharisees, when you look at Jesus' ministry, they were the only people he really criticized. He didn't criticize anybody else. He would, he would upbraid people. He would chasten people. He would rebuke people. But he really went after the Pharisees and their hypocrisy. It was the Pharisees who relentlessly hounded him, always searching to catch him in some verbal slip so they could accuse him and condemn him and bring him before the authorities. They were always trying to trap Jesus, and Jesus was a genius at catching them in their game and winning the moment every time. They never caught him. They never won. He always checkmated them, but they always tried. And so Jesus warns his own disciples not to fall in this pharisaical trap of wanting the praise and the adulation and the attention of men. You know, I decided years ago, said to myself, Jeff, listen, you're really playing for an audience of one. Because people come and go, one day you're a hero, next day you're a zero. They'll pat you on the back one day, stab you in the back the next. I don't even know what I'm talking about. And so you kind of go, well, what am I doing all this for? And you have to come to the conclusion that Paul did. He said, whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord and not unto men. For from the Lord, you shall receive your reward, not men. There's no man, no woman on this planet that's going to be there at the judgment seat of Christ giving me a reward. It's going to be my Lord, my Savior, my Jesus. So, so I, you, you, we've all got to get to the place where, hey, I, I'm not doing this. I'm not living this Christian life out. I'm not seeking him. I'm not ministering. I'm not doing any of these things for the praise or the attention of people. I'm doing it as unto him, in obedience to him, and all I really care about hearing is, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Well done. But not everybody lives that way, and that's who Jesus was pointing to and and who he was talking about. So in dealing first with giving, Jesus tells his followers this. We're starting at chapter 6, verse 1. Here we go. Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men, to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do, in the synagogues and in the streets. Why? Read it with me, everybody. That they may have glory from men. Surely I say to you, now catch these words, because he's going to repeat these words with every one of these three issues he's dealing with. He says this three times. They have their reward. 
But when you do a charitable deed, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret. And your father who sees in secret will himself, what will God do? Read it with me. Reward you openly. So if you go for open praise of men, God doesn't bless you in your personal private life. But if you go for the praise of the Father and do what you do secretly, he blesses you in the open where everybody sees it. Now, first, Jesus warns not to give for the sole motive of being seen by men. And he does use exaggeration to make a point by saying they sound a trumpet when they give. The Lord's point is, that they do all they can to get noticed. They broadcast their giving to gain the admiration of others. You ever seen anybody like that ever? Known anybody like that? It happens all the time, folks. If you read much news, uh, you, you see these kinds of things all the time. People will give in America, they will give tens of millions of dollars annually for various charitable causes, really good causes, causes that I can amen. But, it, but it's why they do it. It's why they do it. Because many of them do it with one eye peeled on others that they would notice what they just did. You know how I know that? Because they make real sure the papers find out what they did. Amen. So you'll hear, oh, but, you know, Mr. So-and-so, the, the billionaire, the billionaire philanthropist gave, you know, $10 million to this college or to, to, to fight this disease. And, and, and how do they know that? Because he could have given that in secret. He made real sure that it was trumpeted because there is a pride factor when you give for the wrong motives. I want people to know what an incredible person I am. How wonderful I am. I want people to be singing my praises. So, so if I cut a $10 million check, bless God, I'm going to be sure the whole nation knows about it. Jesus said, you just got your reward. Well, what was it? When everybody went, ooh, wow, what a guy. Lap it up, because that's all you're going to get. Wealthy philanthropists, who, you know, the, the billionaires of America, they'll cut gigantic checks, but they make sure we hear about it it's on Drudge, it's on Fox News, it's in the newspapers, the networks run the stories. Jesus tells you and me, children of the kingdom, he says, listen, I discourage that motive because I want you to get a real reward, not the praise of men. He says that when we give to be seen by men, the only reward we're going to get is the praise of men. The Greek language is so expressive here. Here's what it means. When you give for men to see it, it literally reads, they have to the full and so exhaust. They have to the full and so exhaust. In other words, you get the praise of men and, and anything else coming to you is exhausted. It's not going to make its way to you. You're not going to get the nod of heaven. There's nothing more to look for once you intentionally give for the praise of men. Otherwise, said Jesus, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. How many of you would rather have God the Father reward you than any man or woman or group of people or even an entire nation say, what a guy? Yeah. 
right? I'd rather have the smile of heaven. And that's what Jesus is talking about. He's doing heart surgery here. Why are you doing what you do? Are you doing it so people can be reached? Are you doing it so that my name can be glorified in the earth? Are you doing it so that people will look up and give glory to me? Or are you seeking glory for you? It's easy to fall into that trap. This is why the world gives. But we are not of this world. We're citizens of the kingdom of God. Therefore, says Jesus, when you do a charitable deed, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets. But when you do a charitable deed, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret. Jesus advises that we give in secret as unto the Lord. Don't let your left hand even know what your right hand is doing. And then here he gives us an amazing promise. Your father who sees in secret will himself reward you in the open. Wow. I think of Jesus, it says one day he was standing at the doorway to the temple and everybody was going in, putting in money. And he saw wealthy people, people of means, dropping money in. And here comes this one little widow and she drops in a couple of mites. And Jesus, now I want you to notice, Jesus was watching the giving. You catch that? Jesus was watching the giving. And and he was commenting on what he saw. And he said, this woman has given more than everyone else combined because they gave out of their plenty, but she gave all she had. What happened right there? Well, that story went into the Bible and it has been read by millions and tens of millions and hundreds of millions of people. In other words, what did Jesus do? He made sure she got into the word of God. He blessed her openly. And do you think that woman for the rest of her life ever suffered need? Not when Jesus looked and said, hey, I I saw what you did. I guarantee you, God watched over her and took care of her. But but here's the deal. He was watching the giving, and, and he noticed when it was done in secret, when it was done with the right motive. He noticed that. He'll reward you openly. Now, it doesn't say when this reward will come. God blesses in the here and now, and he also blesses later. The Bible talks in 1 Corinthians 3 about the judgment seat of Christ. The judgment seat of Christ is when our works are judged, not our sin because the sin is washed away. But what we gave our lives for once we were saved, and its I guarantee you it's speaking to motives. Did you serve God or did you serve yourself? Did you live for him or did you live for you? Did you glorify him or did you glorify you? Uh, the works are going to be tried by fire. And the Bible says, if, if, it's, if the works were not to the glory of God, done with the right motives, they will burn up like wood hand stubble placed into a furnace. But if they were done with the right motives for God to be glorified and, and that, that his will be done and your, your calling fulfilled, then he said, your works are like gold, silver, and precious stones, and they survive the fire, and you receive a reward. I think that's part of the he will reward you openly. I believe it includes that day. 
the judgment seat of Christ. It's quiet in here. Got you folks to thinking, right? That's a nervous laugh. <laughs> now next, Jesus tackles the subject of prayer. How many of you wish that you had a stronger prayer life? Let me see. Amen. We all do, don't we? The very same consideration is made concerning our motives when it comes to prayer. And again, he's got the Pharisees in view because he's, he's seeing them. He's grown up watching them. Jesus grew up in the temple. He was so knowledgeable and so aware of the Pharisees and their hypocrisy. So Jesus says, starting in verse 5, and when you pray, notice he didn't say if. He said, when you pray, you shall not be like who? The hypocrites. For what do they love to do? Read this out loud with me. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. There it is again. They were giving for that reason and now they're praying for that reason. Assuredly, I say to you, here he goes, what? They have their reward. The Pharisees loved to pray, but they didn't love to pray to be heard by God. They were not prayer warriors. They loved to pray so that people would look at them and do the same thing. Ooh, would you listen to brother so-and-so pray? Oh, thou God, if thou wouldest, couldest, shouldest, if you would. Sh-. And have you ever seen, been around somebody that they talk normal English till they pray? And then they slip into King James? And, and they can p- pray some lofty prayers. Have you ever been in a room when somebody prayed and you had a feeling, a funny feeling? They really weren't talking to God. They were talking to the crowd. I got to be careful here because I have nobody will be willing to pray in this church. He's going to look at me and think that I'm doing it to be heard by others. I'm not. I'm just teaching what, what Jesus warned us about. The Pharisees were so good at finding the right places to pray out loud and impress people. They chose places that were heavily populated to be sure that the maximum number of people turned and looked at them and said, what a prayer, prayer, what a prayer. What a spiritual, godly man. Aren't we blessed to have them even in our midst? Can I touch you? You know what they would do? They would find intersecting street corners. They would look for the intersection. They would look for the intersection and, and, and they would go off in their prayer while secretly glancing around to watch the impression they might be making on people who were looking on. People would stop and listen to them pray, but they weren't talking to God. Jesus told us they weren't talking to God. Jesus said, they have their reward. Soak it up, brother, because that's all you're going to get. Soak up those admiring glances and those words of adulation because it stops there. God's not going to bless you in the open because God sees your heart. Then Jesus gave the same command and promise he did regarding giving. He said, let your prayer be in secret. Listen to what he said. But you, when you pray, go into your room. And when you have shut your door, 
Pray to your Father who is... I love this. This hit me today. Pray to your Father who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees in the secret will reward you openly. Now, how many of you know what a trysting place is? You ever heard that word, T-R-Y-S-T-I-N-G? Trysting place? It's an old word. I guess it must be an old word because <laughs> nobody knew what it was. It's, it's, it's a word that, that where two people who were becoming romantically involved would meet. This is the place we meet. It's our trysting place. This is where we meet. Huh? Trysting? You call it trysting. I call it trysting. I'm from New York. You're from Texas. I'll go with trysting. Trysting place. And there they would meet. But I got the spelling right. T-R-Y-S-T-I-N-G. Trysting. Trysting. It's, it's where they would meet. Now, let me say, they would meet and, and they would talk and smooch and all that stuff. That was the, the trysting place. But now, guess what? We should have a trysting place where we meet with God. I have a place I go every morning where I meet with God. It's my place. It's my chair. It's his chair. It's where I go. And it's where I meet with him. And and you know what? I have options. I could sit in other chairs, but I don't want to. Because this is the one where I've met with him for so long. I meet with God. And it's, it's our place when I'm at home. I've told you we have several dogs. We have three dogs. And I noticed something. I noticed that, um, particularly in the summer when the grass is green, you look out back, and when I let those dogs out, they go right straight down the same place, and eventually they cut a path. There's a little trail where my little dogs run every time. I don't know why they don't go to the rest. They don't. They just make a beeline down this one area, and there's this trail that leads to where they go. And that's what they do every time. And I can tell, therefore, what my dog's habits are because I can see the ground they travel every day until it finally cuts a path where the grass is dead and green on both sides. We ought to have a trail like that leading to our trysting place where we meet with God. If I could look at your life, when God looks down at our life, I guarantee you there's trails. Well, I guarantee you there's a trail to the refrigerator. Oh, there's a trail there. I mean, it is, that grass is stomped down there. There's a trail to that box in the living room that all the furniture is turned towards that idol. There are trails, are there not? And you know where you tend to go on a daily, your habits. Is there a trail that you have worn down into the ground of your life where you go to meet with God? And when God looks down, he sees it. He says, I can tell where they go. I can tell their habit. I can tell how often they come to find me because I see that trail. Think about it because I guarantee it's true. There are people every Friday night, every Friday night, they cut a trail in that movie theater. 
There are people that cut a trail to McDonald's. Jack in the box. Health food. You know, we, we, but what about a trail that leads to God? Your father who sees in secret is going to openly reward you. Now, Jesus here is going to the heart of the matter. The motive of our heart should be to spend time with the heavenly father. And a genuinely, not phonally, not fake, but genuinely bring petitions to him. The admiration of men that some seek should be as far from us as Pluto from earth. Jesus said, when you pray, go into a room by yourself. Cut a trail every day to that place. And when it comes to genuinely praying to God with requests and petitions, nobody guaranteed results from praying more than Jesus. He will say later in the Sermon on the Mount, I can't wait to get there, it's in chapter 7. But I want you to say this with me. You all know this, but I want you to say it with me. Ready? Ask, and it will be given to you. This is about four of you, let's try the rest. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Keep reading. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Now, I'll read the rest. What man is there among you? If his son asks for bread, will he give him a stone? Daddy, can I have some bread? Sure, here's a rock. (laughs) Enjoy. Or if he says, Daddy, Daddy, I'm hungry. Can I have a fish? Sure, here is a rattlesnake. That daddy is a psychopath, right? And now look what Jesus said. If you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? Read this last part with me, would you? How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who what? Ask him. Jesus just right there gave us a guarantee when it comes to prayer. He said, if you ask, you're going to receive. Now, Jesus promises that your Father who sees in secret is going to openly reward you. In the prayer closet, That trysting place, where you go, God is watching and God is listening. He's there with you. Now, look, the Greek read, I had to read this to you. This is exactly how the Greek would read if you read it. And the father of you, the one seeing in secret, will relinquish what is his and give it to you. The father of you, the one seeing in secret. When your motive is right, he's going to relinquish what is his and give it to you. So both with giving and with prayer, we have a choice. Do I uh, do what I do for the recognition and praise of men or do I do what I do as unto the Lord that I might receive his reward? As for me and my house, and I know you feel the same way, I choose to please the Lord and play for an audience of one. Now, next he talks about fasting. I wish I could tell you I was a great faster. I'm not. Tell you the truth, I don't want God to tell me to fast. (laughs) It takes him a while to get to me to fast. I used to fast all the time. Something happened as I got older. The idea comes to me and I wait a little while and it goes away. (laughs) 
How many of you can come on, fess up? You feel the same way? Oh, I don't think that's God talking to me to fast. No, no. But we do fast some. Uh, I used to fast one day every week. Many moons ago. Now, look what Jesus said. Moreover, when you fast, don't be like the hypocrites. What do they do? With a sad countenance. I love this. For they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. Now, let me tell you about fasting. It's the humbling of the soul before God. It is the denial of food in order to fully concentrate on the things that pertain to the kingdom of God. There are times we really should and need to fast. It's also done in the context of spiritual warfare, which is why I have almost always fasted. Spiritual warfare was the reason. God's saints all through the Bible fasted for spiritual breakthrough in the presence of spiritual warfare. Daniel, for instance, experienced some of his greatest answers to prayer while fasting. You can read about it all through the Bible. But the Pharisees, they didn't fast for any of these reasons at all. But they did fast, or they acted like they were. They would disfigure their faces. Here's how they did it, by not washing themselves as usual. They just, they got dirty. They wouldn't comb their hair. They went out into public looking filthy, squalid, and haggard. One commentator said they were often in the habit of throwing ashes on their heads and faces, and this, mixing with their tears, served still further to disfigure their faces. So I'm not going to shave. I'm not going to wash my face. I'm not going to comb my hair. It's going to get oily and greasy and messy looking. I'm going to look like a homeless person. And to make sure you notice, give me the nearest ashes. I'm going to pour them on my head and throw them in my face. So when I walk in, you go, wow. What happened to you? Oh, I'm fasting. (laughs) Praise God. (laughs) Hallelujah. (laughs) So you would go, oh boy, look at that. Suffering for Jesus. What were they after? The admiration of men who would comment on how disciplined and godly they were. And once again, Jesus said they just got their reward. Now, this one gets me because this one, you gave up days of food for nothing. That's a heartbreak. (laughs) Let me tell you about me. If I'm going to give up food, it's going to count. Amen? It's going to count. Who cares about a few kudos from people? Oh, he's fasting. Oh, he's fasting. You're going to give up days of food to hear that? What did Jesus say to do? But you, children of the kingdom, when you fast, notice he didn't say if. He said when. Anoint your head. Wash your face so you do not appear to men to be fasting. He's telling us, put on your best face. Smile. Act normal. When you go to church, don't drag in. You're fasting as unto the Lord. Jesus went on to say, fast to your father, here he goes again, who is in the secret place. Listen carefully. The secret place he mentions here is not the trysting place. 
the, the trysting place is where you just go to meet with God and you're in a habit. This is where I go. Uh, this is just where I'm used to getting with God. But the secret place is talking about a place within you. It's within you. It's the inner sanctum of the soul, the secret place. It's that place within us where all fellowship with God takes place. Jesus said, your father is there. He's in the inner sanctum of your soul. And when you fast or you pray or you give with the right motives and you do it in secret as unto the Lord and not for the praise of men, then God is there in the inner sanctum of your soul witnessing to the sincerity of your motive. We go into a room alone to pray. But the place God really meets with us is in our soul. You know, I, I, there is a verse that has haunted me several times. And it's a simple verse. It's, it's a closing. It's Paul's closing in 2 Corinthians chapter 13. He's closing out the letter. But listen to what he says. May the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Koinonia. May the koinonia, the fellowship, the co partnership of the Holy Spirit be with you all. You hear what he's saying there? We fellowship with the Holy Spirit. He, what does that song say? He walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I am his own. See, and that's what we ought, that's what a devotional life is for. When you get up and you make that, you beat that fast track to your trysting place where you meet with God, you, you're, you're, you're cutting that trail. When you come out of that devotional time of, of the word and prayer, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit is going to be on your heart. You, you have stoked the flame. You have, you have fed your inner man and the Holy Spirit is going to fellowship with you. All throughout the day, in rush hour traffic, you hear him speaking to you. Calm down. It's okay. Praise me. When you, when you are confronted with danger, the Holy Spirit speaks to you and says, do this, do that, or don't do this and don't do that. When you need wisdom for a decision, the Holy Spirit speaks. It's the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. That's the secret place. And as with the practices of giving and prayer, Jesus promises concerning fasting, your father who sees in secret will reward you in the open. And I wrote here, my experience has been, uh, and I have fasted many, many times. My experience has been that it's usually a day or two after the fast is broken that I begin to see the answers coming in. And he rewards, he rewards openly. God is faithful to his word, everybody. Now, in summary, just as Jesus was concerned with the condition of our hearts in chapter 5 regarding anger that leads to murder, lust that leads to adultery, pride that leads to making unwise vows, he has once again in chapter 6 dealt with the motives of our heart for giving, praying, and fasting. And you know why? Because through this master sermon, this is called the greatest sermon ever preached, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. 
this most famous sermon in the world, fine-tunes our hearts for the greatest blessing and the greatest good. Now, next time, we're going to talk about how to pray the greatest prayer in the world. But can we just stand together tonight?